0: appreciate the time man want to dig into uh the new album and of course the rockzilla tour and get your opinion on a couple of things but uh Let's start with the new album, Ego Trip. Especially with these past few years of the pandemic, I'm really curious about everyone's kind of timeline with developing these new albums. And you guys actually recorded this album in our market, in the Inland Empire, in Temecula. And kind of curious whose idea was it to go down there to record an album, and when did that idea kind of start to take place? Give me the timeline. Like, what, the world shut down March of 2020? Where were you guys at at that point?
1: Yeah, so actually, the band was on tour in europe at the time but just previous to the start of the tour uh, i had broken two of my fingers so i had to sit that one out out um yeah but uh i think there was like maybe a week left on the tour uh and then everything got shut down so it kind of worked out well we saw it as a positive because you know we've been on tour for 20 years basically (laughs) and the longest we had ever been at home was maybe, you know, six weeks at a time. We just took it as, you know, a sign that it's family time now. Like we built, you know, a lot of time, you know, to reconnect. And, um, I'd say probably six months in, uh, probably five months. in, we kind of started talking and going, all right, now what, what do we do? Cause <laughs> for a minute there was like talks of maybe, yeah, we can get back to it. in you know, in a month or two. And then it just kind of kept going and kept going. So we said, all right, time to be creative. You know, we had, uh, on a couple of albums previous, we had done the whole, everybody live in a house and create and, you know, and all that. And we loved it. So I think it was Tobin who mentioned Temecula. We found this house, we all got tested. Our producer brought all of his gear and we basically lived it, breathed it, slept it, but kind of not really. You know, it was just 24 hours for about a month, uh, about five weeks. And we had a blast. Uh, we came out with some good stuff and um, we loved it.
0: Yeah, it's a great album. I'm curious, is Tobin a big wine drinker? Because that's wine country out there in Temecula. Yeah.
1: Yes, he is, and I think that was uh, part of the reason that he wanted to go there. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> he had ulterior motives the whole time. Hey, I'm totally, a good yes. place. <laughs> and did you guys go in with any songs loaded, or were they all written in that house?
1: Uh, we had like we had a couple of snippets that were from the previous album that we never finished, and just a, like a couple of little jumping off points, but a lot of it we made there at the house.
0: And love it, man. And and always curious too, being that it was done you know during these pandemic times. Love the tune Swerve, which uh Jason Alam Butler, Fever Three Three, Three and Sueco pitched in on. I imagine they had to, to kinda email those in or did they get to go to the house in Temecula?
1: No, actually that happened later on. We didn't finish everything for the record in that time. And because of the pandemic, we kinda knew that we were gonna have a little bit more time to refine things and, you know, finish things and even be open to new ideas. And so we we finished that time in Temecula and then went home for, you know, a few weeks. And then we would make a couple of trips here and there down to LA. And that was when things were kind of opening up a little bit. Swerve actually happened. We started it in Temecula and then we finished it in L.A., it kind of was like a process of, well, we don't really know what to do with this song yet. Our producer, Colin, said, hey, do you mind if I send this to Jason from Fever? And Jacoby's like, yeah, yeah, please do it. <laughs> and so he came back. He sent his stuff back and we heard it. And Jacoby was like, dude, I can't let him outshine me on this. <laughs> so he went back to work, you know, got his verse in shape. And, uh, and then Colin, our producer said, well, what about Swaco? you know? And this was like, right as he was blowing up and we were like, yeah, let's do it. And they, you know, they just put it together and it was this weird mixture of, of all those elements of like, it was like, kind of like Beastie Boys and, you know, modern hip hop and some weird like metal sounds and obviously the saxophone. And it was just like, it was kind of strange at first, but it was exciting because because it was strange. And I that's one of my of is one of my favorite songs on the album, and I love playing it every night. Like even even though it's not like the super mega hit, or you know, it's not like what a lot of Pop Roach fans would expect, uh, it still brings the party to the show.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention the the sax solo. That's got to be the first ever sax solo in a Papa Roach tune, right?
1: Absolutely. It's funny because uh, our other producer Nick furlong he said hey I have my buddy come through here and play sax and just you jam on something and Tobin goes what are we a ska band now like <laughs> this okay but so he just came in and and Tobin had a beat and he threw up the beat and spencer just started playing and that was like the first thing that he played and everybody was like yeah that's it and they recorded it on an iphone that was it that was the the recording oh wow and uh yeah it's crazy that like you can do that
0: now. <laughs> I know. It's crazy how good the the fidelity is compared to, you know, 99 on the first album or something. Like, you couldn't even dream Absolutely. of doing something like that. Yep. Dude, amazing album. And I mean, it's like Def Leppard status. You got six singles already off of it. And you had mentioned <laughs> your favorite. But uh, I wanted to mention mine, I think, is Killing Time. I love that tune. and It, it almost kind of feels like a little maybe ode to Linkin Park.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's some of that in there. Yeah, I, I love that song, too. That, that one, we did it at, at, in Temecula. And I just remember uh, when Kobe finished his, his chorus for it, and it was just like, it had such a flow to it and the energy of it. Yeah, that's a, another great one. It's funny because, like, normally we would do 10, 11 songs max on an album. A lot of that is because you only get paid on 10 songs. <laughs> right. But we had so many that we couldn't narrow it down, that we just, and and none of them is like B-side material. It's all like A material, and we're, we just said, you know what, screw it. Let's just put it all in there. And the other thing is that we sat on it for like a year, and, you know, it's finished. It was like mixed, mastered, everything, all done, and we couldn't do anything with it. So we were just sitting on it for a year, trying not to listen to it too much <laughs> so that we'd get tired of it. And then also not playing it for people too much, so it didn't get to, it didn't leak. And and then every time we would listen to it, I'm like, dude, this is a this is a banging record." Like it's stacked front to back. Thank you for saying that. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's all killer and no filler. I was going to ask you that too. Like, what was harder, biting your tongue and not saying anything about the album being done, or going back in and tinkering with it and adding little noise candy and stuff like
1: that? Yeah, there's a fine line between going back and tinkering. Like sometimes we could have a tendency to over. Engineer or, or overthink stuff or or change things just because we're bored. So it's like we we really kind of have figured out that we got to regulate ourselves when it comes <laughs> to that. Like, okay, the song's done. Let's just leave it alone. You know. <laughs>
0: hey, you know, one other thing I got to bring up, uh, touching upon being in the Inland Empire where we are and being in Temecula, I always I feel like it's my duty to bring it up every time. But uh, certainly. You guys are responsible for the world knowing about Alien Ant Farm, our hometown heroes. And there's always that talk about the infamous agreement, you know, whoever gets signed first gets the other one signed. But I'm kind of curious, man, you must have had that agreement with like 25 different bands. You couldn't have put all your faith in Alien Ant Farm to make it happen for you.
1: No, truly, it was just (laughs) them. And, you know, I wouldn't say that we're responsible. You know, they were going to get signed eventually, no matter what. But we're great friends with those guys. And we just had this bond you know, from the beginning, and we wanted to make it happen. We wanted to bring our brothers up. Like I said, it was going to happen eventually, whether we were involved or not, but we were just super happy to be involved in that process.
0: You weren't like, man, I know these other guys that are way better. Like, forget those guys down in Riverside.
1: <laughs> no, that was it.
0: I always got to bug you, too, for any good Dryden story that comes to mind, any any uh, pranks, adventures, Italian wristwatches he tried to sell you.
1: <laughs> um. I don't know if if we've told you the story or not, but they uh, they basically pulled the best end of tour prank on us ever. You know, early on we were we got big into it. Started with corn actually that they they introduced us to the end of end of the tour prank. You know, once we went out on our own and we started taking bands out, we we continued that whole thing. I don't remember what we did to them to Alien Ant Farm because I I don't think we could do anything because we were just so dumbfounded because. <laughs> they came out uh, because they played right before us and they came out in all white Dickies and Dryden did all of Jacoby's in-between song banter, everything (laughs) verbatim. And we were just sitting there and I was laughing my ass off and (laughs) Jacoby was sitting there and he was like, he was laughing, but he was also terrified because that meant that he had to figure out all new stuff to say in between songs, it completely messed up his flow, and it was like, it was just hilarious, and it was—I'll I'll never forget it. It was one of the best,
0: and probably the first time Jacoby's ever been speechless, right?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Hey, speaking of uh Jacoby, help me settle a bet. When I first saw that the Rockzilla tour was announced, I was like, oh my god, Jacoby had to have named that tour, right?
1: You know, I actually think it was a suggestion by. um Ronnie Raki. Ah, yeah. I mean, we had been ta- we had everybody tossed a bunch of names around, but I think that one came from Ronnie. You know, once we heard it, it was like, oh, there could there's like so many opportunities for, you know, imaging and, you know, pad mats and merch and all that kind of stuff. So that was yeah, that was Ronnie. Props to
0: Ronnie for that one. And speaking of the tour and, and, and speaking of Jacoby too, it was just his birthday the other day. Do you guys normally celebrate tour or uh, celebrate birthdays on tour? And if so, how did you celebrate with Jacoby the other day?
1: Yeah, we had a, a big dinner in Bangor, Maine, and we had some, you know, lobster and then uh, we had a cake and he ended up just smashing his face into it. So <laughs> nobody got to eat cake, but you know, <laughs> park for the course,
0: so. Do it Doing you a favor, doing your diet a favor by by not letting totally. anyone else eat
1: the cake. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, with this tour, is, is it, it's a co-headline, is it, are you guys flip-flopping every night or is that predetermined who goes on
1: last? Uh, I believe we're closing every night. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. And uh, this is kind of like spring plus one, like the spring tour plus one, like we talked about Ronnie Radke and falling in reverse and great to go out on the road with those guys, I imagine.
1: Absolutely. The first show was great. Uh, we're excited for tonight, and by the time we get by the time we get to Irvine, it's just going to be, you know, super polished, and uh, we're stoked, man. Can't, super stoked.
0: Can't wait the show back in uh, at the House of Blues. That was the very first date you guys did of the tour. March, going back to March first. Was there any any jitters or ring rust after a few years off?
1: No, I mean, you know, we got to we got we did the studio thing we do rehearsals for this, you know, obviously at home, we're just keeping everything tight, but, you know, I mean, you know, there's some here and there that like, Oh, we haven't done it in a while. I wonder how it's going to be, but we just fall right back into it. And, um, you know, once, especially once the crowd is there, it's just, it's like a light switch, you know, you just turn it, it just flips on and, and there we go.
0: Like riding a bike. Totally. Jerry, appreciate all the time. Last thing I got for you, I need your help with. We're one of those old school radio stations. We do mandatory Metallica every night at 10 p.m. And uh, stoked to have you be a part of it. And with you being a guitar player, coming up and learning the riffs, I'm sure over the years you learned some Metallica riffs. And kind of curious if you gleaned more off of James Hetfield or Kirk Hammett, if you had a favorite of the two, or do you remember the first Metallica riff you learned?
1: Uh, It's always James for me, and the first song that i learned uh on guitar was and justice for all
0: oh wow
1: yeah i mean it was just like you know the intro is simple enough that a beginner can get into it and be able to do it once the band kicks in it's so powerful that it's just like it really like inspired me to just keep going at it so
0: was that your introduction to the band that album and justice justice was my introduction yeah yeah, me too. Me too. And you had mentioned uh, Hetfield. What is, is it? That right hand, that's what everyone tells me. I played drums as a kid, but every guitar player says, "Man, it's all about Hetfield in that right hand."
1: It's crazy how uh powerful his his hands are. Like, we did a festival with them in 2014. We we're lucky enough to be on the side of the stage, kind of hovering above it, and you could hear it even though we were behind the PA, you could hear his guitar over almost everything else. And I know that it's not a mix thing, because that's not how mixers work. But it's just like it's so powerful that it just cuts through everything. And his writing abilities are just, you know, insane. So it's like, yeah, it's always Hatfield for me.
0: <laughs> and lastly, you want to pick a, a tune for us to play on Mandatory Metallica. What can we play for you? What's your favorite Metallica tune?
1: Oh, uh, I mean, you can't really. I I, I can't pick a favorite, but. You know, I'll, I'll stray from my what I, what I would normally do, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say Sad But True.
0: Ah, that tune is still really heavy to me, even though it's not one of it's their heaviest so tunes.
1: It's so heavy and so powerful, and, like, it's only a half step down in tuning, but it's just, like, it's just, yeah, it's just power the whole time.
0: I love it. Jerry, we'll rock that I one for you. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for the time, and I uh, can't wait to see you out there at Irvine. Yeah,
1: dude. Thanks, Mike.
0: Safe travels. Bye-bye. Later.